Hi, I'm Justin Mormon. And I'm Katie Thornton, and this is the Re-Education of Schools podcast. Where we have open, honest conversations about how to better understand social-emotional learning, trauma-informed care, the whys behind student behavior, and how to help kids navigate it all as they go through school and life. Alright, episode 9 is about responding to a crisis. Uh, we got a little chatty, there's a lot to cover on this episode, so we'll be releasing it in two parts. So here we go, here's part 1. All right, welcome back. Episode nine, Look at Me Now, Responding to a Crisis. We are excited to kind of keep this conversation going and kind of delve into uh, something that's maybe more like something that's happening like right now, obviously, instead of something that's like kind of in theory that's proactive. Now, all of a sudden, something's happening that's potentially a crisis. Yeah. What do we do? You know, that's that's kind of where we're going to go today and a little bit more in a future episode too. kind of wrap them up together. Yeah. And so I think that's probably where we'll end up going, even moving forward a little bit with the podcast, right? Now that we've kind of covered a lot of bases, uh, moving forward, looking at a little bit more specific situations and probably even going with some longer, longer stretches of several episodes, just as a preview for everybody out there. (laughs) Now you kind of know our plan. Yeah. Actually, that was us planning right now. We we have not planned ahead far enough to know what we're doing. So that's us planning ahead right now. Okay, so crisis. This can look like a lot of different things. Um, Let's kind of start off like talking a little bit about just the background about why this needs to be talked about. Yeah, I think now that we're putting all the application to what we've been talking about, but I think in schools, if you've turned on the news, you've seen the teacher shortage, if you're listening to post-COVID education right now, um, crisis is happening in our classroom. Our kids have experienced trauma and they're responding and showing us right now. And I think as as we are looking um, inside classrooms and as we do trainings in our, in our building, I think one of the biggest things that we've noticed is that um, we need to start really working on training people how to respond to the crisis. Yeah. That we're seeing that to be such a need um, and having systems set up in schools because I think where our misstep is with good intentions are responding, but maybe are escalating situations. And then I think that's what's really stressing out some of our regular classroom teachers. If we don't respond and have things taken care of and they feel like we have it, then that's really where we're seeing some impact. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like there's this increase in students who may have these types of crisis in school. I think if you went back, you know, a good handful of years, either we were, um, I think we had fewer kids who had experienced like an overall kind of trauma. And again, with COVID, yeah. like that's, that's realistically what it is. And I think it accelerated and really highlighted in some families, like issues that were there that aren't necessarily like, you know, life threatening, mm-hmm. like kind of issues, but like really brought to the forefront, you know, problems that were, that had kind of existed. So because of that, we're going to keep seeing, um, more and more traumatic kind of students with kind of trauma in their life. And then also that it's going to come out in classrooms more and more. Yeah. Plus I think we're getting away from the idea, hopefully of just shipping kids who have some of these, um, crisis kind of, kind of reactions to things off, Yeah, you know? And so as we're not like just putting them elsewhere, that means that other people that maybe have not seen for, you know, 25 years of being in education, they haven't seen students in crisis very often. Um, now they're seeing it and, the, and it is, it's hard to, it's hard to manage. Yeah. And it's kind of a lot to I go think through. Two things came to mind when you said that the first thing, those elsewhere places are full. Sure. Districts can't yeah, even get into if you know, your um, separate facilities, those places have waiting lists to get in. So it's not even an option for some districts now, depending what county you live in. 
Um, the second part is the learning loss that has happened with the COVID impacts. And then we're, tr we're trying to bounce back into grade level standards. I think instructionally, if we don't start shifting some of our um, practices to really make differentiated individual instruction with some universal design you know, yeah. in there, then we're seeing kids that are having demands put on them that they can't possibly reach. So we're going from zero to hundred really fast because they just can't keep up or are not ready for the instruction. So I think those are all compounding into what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's interesting. Okay. So like some of these foundational things then that like just schools need to have in place, like when you think of um, how this, how this even begins, cause it would be irresponsible to just to just assume that like we're starting like, okay, now there's crisis. Like we, we should do some planning ahead. So what are some of the, like the really basic foundational things that you feel like um, need to be in place before we even start talking about an actual crisis? Yeah. I think you have to have a plan in place. So like you, uh, if your building does not have a team, uh, then that's really where you need to start. You need to have a response team. Um, so a team that maybe whatever your district has adopted in terms of a crisis response. So, um, we currently use CPI. I'm, I'm one of the trainers for the district crisis prevention intervention. intervention. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so that's, you need to have team members that are on the team that are involved with whatever your district policy is, but you also need to look at creating a team that has some mental health support. So whether it's your school counselor, your psychologist, a mental health therapist you have in your building, because when we're talking about responding to kids in crisis, you need a, an intervention team that can come in and respond that's been trained that has a toolbox where just like you train with your police officer or fire department sure. right yeah you train yeah. for a response to crisis the more you train the more you are comfortable and you're not over responding because you're used to being in that situation often and can make those really logical decisions so i would say your crisis response team needs to have an administrator on the team or someone acting as administrator uh justin and i both serve in those roles in um, our building um and we have an, another person that does but they so that's good to have an administrator, someone that has, that can make the calls, that has lots of experience, that can kind of help lead, really lead the team through those decisions that you're going to have to yeah. make. Plus, you need a couple people to respond that um, are trained in whatever your district has adopted. And then a mental health person. And at times, have a nurse respond as well if you're if you're concerned about a student's safety or inner, um, injury. So administrator, crisis, a couple people from a crisis team. And then um, you need to have a, a nurse and a counselor that needs to respond to that. I would say uh, you need protocols and guidance. What does that look like? When do we call for a crisis? And when, we're, and when we do call for a crisis, what are we doing? So written out protocols and what that looks like so there is some type of system in place. Um, communication. How is the team communicating? So we have radios uh, separate for just our response team, and we're all on the same channel. So we can kind of hear the chatter of what's going on and then uh, be notified immediately and can kind of identify who needs to respond. And then having some regular communication when you do respond, um, debriefing with the team. Hey, we talked about this. This happened today. And as we're thinking, I think we maybe over-responded today. We had too many people responding today. Um, or I think we, we did a great job with that, but here's this other thing we can do to improve. So you need to have constant reflection and communication to improve your practice with your team. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you hit on all those things that, uh, you know, I'd kind of thought of, you know, that team of trained people, you know, um, a general plan. I think that's really important because I think once people, once something is actually happening, people need a plan to follow. So if, because otherwise you're going to forget, you're going to forget like what even was just talked about. So they potentially even need like a real basic, like this is who you call kind of plan, you mm -hmm. know, because I think we, all of us, when something starts happening, we get, 
flustered or, yeah. you know, you're trying to make 12 decisions at once. And that's really hard. Like it's not, it's not just easy to do. Um, I thought too, just one of the things we hear about so often, there's like not space, like schools are really, uh, you know, space locked. That's not right. What am I looking yeah. for? Yeah. We're just there. Schools are overcrowded right now. Yeah. So there's we're... not, there's not rooms or places for yeah. people to go that aren't typically being used. So I think like you need to have a place where if a kid is experiencing something that's a little bit more extreme than normal or even like they're just super extra emotional about something or it's been like a rough week for them in whatever way, like a place that they can go that's a little bit more um, isolated, private, I guess maybe is the word yeah. I'm looking for. And you're not talking about a seclusion room, right? You're talking no, no, about, no. yeah, just yeah. To, yeah, just, just to like clarify a... for people, you're not talking about a seclusion room. We're talking about a classroom where they could go and have a little more low key time. Yeah. Right? Like a, an extra, you know, extra place that's used for when a kid needs to do testing, you know, or something, yeah. but you need to know where that place is and those options are so that people can, can offer that and a kid can go there and like it's understood, you know, that it's not just like, you're a, res to, like a reset area. Yeah, exactly. Cause you don't want to be trying to figure all of that out in a moment because the, people start getting panicky real quick. Like where are we going to go? Yeah. Like do where we do we go? And then, like, yeah. and then like six people are talking. Then a lot of people are like moving around fast. It just, it amplifies the situation, yeah. right? It makes it seem like it's way crazier than what it is when maybe a kid just needs five minutes in a quiet place without their peers looking at them. To, to cry because they're yeah. super sad about yeah. whatever has happened. Um, I, so I think that's a, that's like a really easy accomplishable thing too to find really quick. Yeah. Before we move on to like um, actually getting into like the actual crisis part, which we're going to get into next. Um, I just thought I would share some statistics too about like just what's going on Ooh, right now. I, like, <laughs> so <excited laughs> now if you go on the Alliance Against Restraint and Seclusion, Guy Stevens work, if you're not following them um, on Facebook, he's got a webpage. He's really leading reform with restraint and seclusion and um, how we respond to kids in crisis. So I, I love, he gives great presentations. So I, I'm sure, I'm sure that will be linked on our, video but uh but yeah. here, here stuff, stuff just happens Josh stuff, just does stuff. it it's makes fine. things happen but i think here's the other part when we look at how we're responding and as we get talk as we talk through before a crisis this is why the before the crisis part is so important restraint and seclusion is used disproportionately for dis kids with disabilities our black and brown students and boys so elementary school students are way more likely to be restrained in schools. That makes sense, right? Their sure. kids are smaller, so we feel yeah. like we can grab for that control, right? We can, yeah, we can make them do what we want to do. Yeah. yeah. Children who are placed in more restrictive settings are way more likely to be restrained or secluded, and children with trauma background are more li uh, likely to be restrained and secluded as well. So all those things as we're looking through, as you think of why some restraint and seclusion law is shifting and changing, and as we're looking through why we need to do this pre-part really, really well so that we're not getting into the in the crisis or post-crisis, Yes. Um, so there's the data there. And the Office of Civil Rights just um, also is reporting that students that, uh, with disabilities are restrained and secluded more often than um, typical students. And um, even though students with disabilities account for 13 percent of all students, 80 percent of students that are restrained and secluded um, are students with disabilities right now. So so disproportionate it is uh, as yeah. we're responding so just think about all that stuff as you hear us talking about the change in school discipline or reform and those kind of things and why this this next part we're going to talk about is so important yes. to help prevent and correct some of the statistics that are out there right now yeah and i think too sometimes we hear those statistics and um they make us feel uncomfortable as people which is fine um and people in education because we somehow feel like it's a commentary like on us individually 
Um, and then we can like attach that, which is so annoying to me at this point in time, but like it, we can attach that to like politics for whatever reason. Yeah. We attach them to like this side or that side of politics is mm-hmm. what that means. These are just, they're, they're purely just statistics that are yeah. numbers. Like it has nothing to do with you individually, but I do think that it's interesting when it does make us feel uncomfortable that we hear that. Like why and what does that mean and what does that mean that we should do? Because I think usually we feel uncomfortable either because um, maybe we recognize ourselves in the statistics or Mm -hmm. because we um, recognize that it's probably true. And that means there's something in us somewhere that maybe makes us feel like we should probably be doing something about it. Yeah. And I think that those aren't bad parts of our, you know, inner dialogue to listen to. Mm -hmm. But but don't hear those statistics and get frustrated or if you do maybe dig a little bit deeper to wonder why you are frustrated mm-hmm. by it um that's just my own aside i don't know because i get yeah. it can be frustrating to like have to hear statistics and then immediately be yeah. told that you're you know one way or the other because you because you told statistics that are just facts yeah know. yeah it's it's just facts what's going on so yeah. if we look at all that what are we going to do before a crisis occurs. So this is the part that's really important we're talking yeah, about right now. Yeah, exactly. So before a crisis, and this is hopefully where we're, you know, spending most of our effort is spent on prevention. Like if you're not spending most of your effort on prevention, then, uh, and you look at like proportionally, like what are you spending your effort on in crisis moments? And it's mostly on like during the moment or talking about what happens after. Like you're probably, <laughs> I don't know if you tell people you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. Like if you're spending yeah. most of your time doing that, most of your time should be spent on the prevention part of it. Um, I feel like we've kind of hit that over and over again already, but I think it's just really true. I think talking about some of the preparation, like we already talked about above, like having a plan, having places to go, having people that are trained. I think those are all important things, um, obviously. And then I, I also think like training the staff on preventative measures. So like we have like a team, that's great to have like a team, but I think the staff in general mm-hmm. needs to have some kind of, um, some kind of training, whether it's training on just trauma in general, trauma informed care, um, like really solid, like tier one, like kind of beginning, everybody gets this, you know, everybody gets these accommodations, these mm-hmm. kind of things that are available to them. Uh, so those tier one supports, um, I think that's super important and having like a really solid set of, of that and understanding of why those things are happening for the whole staff. Because I think if the whole staff, um, knows how to, how to help keep, keep kids in a regulated spot in the first place. Uh, then we're obviously going to see fewer crisis situations, Yeah, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of my take. And so that sounds easy to rattle those things off, but training, training a whole building of staff or a whole district of staff is, um, it's actually a pretty daunting task. You know, I mean, there's, when we talk about training in our building or in our district or places we've been other, you know, other times in our career, there's a, it's a lot. And it's, even some of this really basic preventative, you know, before a crisis kind of stuff is easily years long of kind of training to help people get and understand it, you know? So it's, it's something that if you're a a building administrator just, or even a staff member at a building, and this is the kind of stuff that you're like, you know, we do kind of have a handful of crisis or we definitely don't know how to respond when there's crisis and we have it happen enough that people then have like really big reactions. Like we, I think it's worth trying to figure out what the plan is. Like what, how do we, how do we start making sure everybody understands some really basic things about kids and how their brains work 
in, in whatever way is appropriate for whatever grade level, you know, you're at. So high school is going to look a little bit different than elementary school or a, you know, pre-K yeah. kind of place. Brains are <laughs> you know, developed yeah. at different stages yeah. at that point. Yeah. 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 I couldn't agree with you more. I just kept on thinking about same thing, the training, the tier one practices. And I think essentially that's why we started this podcast. Cause yeah, we, absolutely. I mean, the first, um, you know, eight episodes that we're going to go through are basically just some information. If you don't feel like you can lead the PD, hopefully the podcast is a, a tool for you, you to listen to, to go help teach your, your district, or it is at least, um, some information that really every teacher in America needs to have right now and that our job is just to get the information in people's hands because once you understand about relationships you understand about regulation those two things will come up over and over and over again as those foundational tier one practices and I don't and I think we we've said this in those episodes we don't mean just oh just have a relationship with a kid it's really what does that even look like in a tier one setting and what am I actually intentionally doing to establish that and really understanding about how the brain works in regulation and getting your teachers to have capacity to and knowledge to understand that we start noticing. So one of the things I said was notice, look for triggers, yeah. get to know your kids, have those relationships so well. They can say, oh, came off the bus and I've noticed that they were in the same clothes as yesterday. It might be kind of a tough day today. Or, you know, sometimes I can tell by some kids' hair <laughs> like that yeah. day, like sure. their, their hair looks like, okay, this is how today is going to roll as soon as they come off the bus. And so we're going to adjust from the get-go and not assume that normal is going to happen today. Um, we can see kids are sometimes coming in really loud, their voice volume. So start looking for some of those things are really emotional or shut down that we might need to adjust from the start because we know our kids so well that we can make those adjustments as we start our day. And I think you do this great for your classroom and your kids. Um, I think communicating the vibe in the room, like, Hey, they, they, they feel off. I think we do that all the time. This feels off today. Just so you know, I'm going to need to like do this today instead and letting the whole team know what that looks like and how can we support and adjust. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think too, like we can, if you look at those kids that never have a problem, right? Like the kids that are always basically fine. And then, um, we can maybe jump to some quick, uh, quick conclusions, you know, like, Oh, like they were just being, they were just being really awful today. That's so weird. Well, like there's probably a reason, you know, for the kid or like that, this kid always is paying attention. Great student. And today they just have their head down a lot. I mean, and I think most teachers land here, but to be extra aware and to have those quick conversations, utilize, hopefully the relationship you have built to be like, Hey, are you doing okay? Like I noticed Mm -hmm. it's great to tell kids you notice at, at every age. Right. I can, sometimes we steer clear of that at really young ages, but I think at, at every age to go up and be like, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, like not in front of everybody, you know, not like you're up at your desk and this kid sits in the back and you're like, John, I noticed that you're <laughs> laying your head down. You never like, what's going on? Well, you know, John's not going to tell you, but to go up and have like those quiet conversations of like, Hey, you doing okay? Like, don't worry. Don't worry about the work today. Like you're not in trouble. Anything like that. Tell me like, what are you, you okay? And if you need to lay your head down today, that's fine you never do this. Are you feeling okay? You need to see the nurse, you know? Yeah. No, you don't like, well, something's up and not, you have to force a kid to tell you something, but, but I think letting them know that it's okay that they're having an off day. Yeah. Uh, Cause sometimes those kids that are really high achieving and like really quote unquote, like are really good kids. They can really freak out if they know, cause they're not, you know, kids aren't oblivious if they know they're having a really off day and then they feel like they're going to let you down Yeah. or they feel like they're going to get in trouble. Like, that's like a big thing. Like, oh, I better like keep with, you know, I need to like get my head up and like, but I'm clearly not doing well today. And like, but I don't want to get in trouble. And like, that would be devastating to me. And, 
you, you know, they almost never even raise their hand in class, like yeah. to ask them and like, let them know, give them permission to be a human and have an off day. Like, yeah. It's, anxiety it's in schools right now with kids is through the roof. I mean, it's just incredible pressure kids are feeling right now mm-hmm. and we're starting to see it. I also started, um, thinking about like starting to think ahead of time, this kid's off today. So what am I, so just thinking this may, like he may be in crisis later or she may be in crisis later. What is my plan going to be? Already yes. start thinking and communicating with your team. Like, hey, they're off. I'm going to adjust here. If something happens, this is my plan for these other kids in the classroom. Or this is we're going to go ahead and just be proactive and maybe go back to one of those more low-key spots in the room or adjust or in the school and adjust. But really start thinking about what's my plan because this kid's off. And I know this kid so well that I know it can go really high really fast and i'm gonna have to be prepared and ready and already start communicating to those team members hey just let you know this kid's off today just kind of have your radio extra close have that you know let's think about some things that we can do but really start forward thinking about the plan and then how can i be proactive to avoid triggers to reduce like you just said to reduce those expectation promote regulation yeah they're in their downstairs brain or maybe in the fight or flight which is i think the the part the teachers start panicking sure, is he gonna absolutely. run yeah. we've got runners right so we have a plan for the kids that are runners we have kids that go into fight mode and some are more aggressive than others, but we have those plans in place and we are constantly trying to keep the regulation. I think that's part of the, some of the judgment that comes. We know a kid's really off and people are like, why aren't you not making them do their, their reading today? And it's like, oh, we're going to go into fight mode really fast. And that's not what we're about. We're not, like, we're not trying yeah. to damage relationships and like, you know, so it's, I think people that maybe this is a new lens for school. Like we're trying to keep regulation for this kid right now. Not that there's not expectations, but today's the day I'm not going to push him real hard. So you may see us pace walking in the halls a little bit more. We might go outside and shoot some hoops. We're trying to get them back to regulation and sometimes we can, but the days that we can't. Um, so I think that's where some of that questioning or judgment comes from people that don't understand yeah. the work or what regulation actually looks like. Well, it's always hard. It's always hard to make those decisions yeah. too. What day is it? Is it a day that, and, and how many of those days are you okay with? And how, you know, those mm-hmm. are questions that I've had in interviews before going into jobs. They're like, well, how do you know, what would you do in this situation? We're like, well, you know, I don't know. Like it's really hard to make those decisions. One, is this a day I push or is this day I not? And is this a day I, you know, hold tight to a general expectation or is it a day that the expectations for this specific student shifts? I think that's where, again, you have to offer yourself a lot of grace and hopefully your coworkers a lot of grace, um, you know, to make those decisions. Because I think that it's really hard. Nobody makes those lightly and it's difficult to do. I think sometimes the kids that are frequent flyers in whatever way they react, it's easier to make a plan for. It's the kids that are, again, that are basically fine all the time. Yeah. That then all of a sudden you don't know, you don't know, is this kid a fighter? You know, are they going to start throwing stuff? Are they going to, you know, hurt themselves? Are they going to just run? Are they, do they just shut down? We don't know. We have no idea, but we can tell that that kid's off today. And I'd maybe, I'd maybe not, rather not find out what their most extreme reaction is. So I need to be, again, preventative, I think. Yeah. Hopefully we have some things in place for kids that we're responding to all the time, like a functional behavior assessment, yeah, sure. which you might hear called an FBA, a behavior intervention plan, which is called a BIP, or a crisis plan. So some kids that you are those frequent flyers, hopefully you have some proactive things in place to help prevent getting to the part we're going to talk about next. All right. Thanks for listening to part one of episode nine.